You can support this podcast on patreon.com forward slash firstpawmedia. Here's to the adventure-seeking dog mushers out there. The hundreds of you who stand on the runners dreaming and thinking about the northern lights. Of course, there is something else you can do if you've got something to say. Start a podcast with First Paw Media and harness your creative side. Maybe even earn enough money. Enough money to tell yourself, hey, I'm not just a dog musher. I'm a rover. I'm a wanderer. I'm a voyager. I'm an explorer. Visit firstpaw.media. Mush on over today. Hello and welcome everybody to Mushing. This is Robert Forto and I am here with my co-host Michelle. Michelle, how's it going today? It's going great. So today we're talking about a very important issue. Just recently, there was another accident involving a dog team and a snow machiner. Unfortunately, three dogs have passed away. And we wanted to make sure that we did our due diligence and reached out to those that were involved and tried to get some comments on what happened. Unfortunately, nobody has contacted us back at the time of this recording, so we're going to jump into this. So let's give a little bit of a history about the Denali Highway for folks that are listening outside. The Denali Highway is up by Cantwell, Alaska. It's about... 135 miles or so from the closest town of Wasilla, Alaska, and about 100 miles or so from Fairbanks. It has really two sides to it in terms of dog mushing and winter sports. On the Cantwell side, or on our side, there is an entrance about uh, five or six or so miles from the highway, and then there is about 135 miles or so of pretty much unmaintained trail access from one side to the other to what is known as the Paxson side on the other side of the highway, which is easily accessible by sled dog enthusiasts and other winter sports activists from the Fairbanks side. On this highway, it is a very popular winter sports activity area. Lots and lots of dog teams, use this area for training from about October on. And of course, lots of snow machine traffic occurs on this highway. There has been junior Iditarods on this trail. There has been the ACE race that we're going to talk about a little bit. There has been team training, snow machine testing, and several dog mushers live on this road. There are also several lodges, notably the Alpine Creek Lodge about halfway, that caters to both dog teams and snow machiners. Of course, they do not want to take a side on this, and we have reached out to the owners of the Alpine Creek Lodge for comment. At the time of this recording, nobody has responded. Dog teams and snow machine accidents have happened on many occasions, not just here on the Denali Highway. Many of you guys will remember the incident that happened between Jeff King and Ali Zirkel in Iditarod. And Jeff King was very vocal on the recent accidents here on the highway as he lives very close and uses the highway a lot. There have been lots of close calls on the Parks Highway, the Knick Goose Bay Road, which are very close to us here in the Matsu Valley, and there have been close calls with this all over the world. Social media has been a buzz about this for the last week or so, 
and there has been vocal commentary really on both sides of this issue back and forth, and that is the reason why we wanted to jump out and talk about this today on the podcast. Of course, there has been two very high-profile accidents and the nexus for this show. Dallas's team had an accident a couple of weeks ago where a dog or two died and several others were injured. And this most recent accident with one of Iditarod veteran Jim Lanier's teams happened just last week. We also reached out to the troopers for comment, and we have not heard anything back. But from the published posts that we have read over the last few days is their stance is that the Denali Highway is a non-maintained road in the winter, so they do not patrol or issue citations for things like speeding. But of course, they will investigate any quote-unquote crime. All right, you guys, I'm going to talk to you guys about just how remote this area is to give you some perspective, especially for those of you that live outside of the state of Alaska. Willow is located 70-ish miles north of Anchorage, okay, and Cantwell, where the Denali Highway begins on the Parks Highway side, is about 135 miles from Wasilla. And so Wasilla is 25 miles to the south of us. So now I can help you guys get a little bit of perspective. In the summer months, tourists will travel up to the Denali Highway so that they can see the beautiful sights of Denali. They will also travel from the park side to the Richardson Highway side where they can take the Richardson Highway down into Valdez. Okay, so the point of this is that It is very remote. Now, let me continue, because when this road is used in the winter by enthusiasts out there having a good time, whether that be by dog team, fat bike, skiing, or even snow machining, it's a long ways away from help. If you get hurt or an accident happens, like these tragic events that have recently happened with Dallas and Jim. So let's, for the sake of this show, since no one has seen the police report and we don't really know exactly where on the highway this accident happened, because the lodge uh, is halfway, let's just say for that, that we're 68 miles from the Cantwell area where the dog mushers were parked. So that's 68 miles with a broken up team and gear, and you're going to bag those dogs and put them in your sled and drive them 68 miles while everyone is disheveled, upset, and anxious. You're going to drive them 68 miles to your vehicle where you're then going to unhook the dogs, inspect everyone, get them calmed down before you load them in your truck so that you don't cause them further harm. Then you're going to get yourself and your gear in your car, in your truck, and you're going to head down the parks highway towards the nearest vet office that is open for trauma. That is tier one in Wasilla. That is another 175 miles. This needs to be really considered, you guys. You didn't just get 
in an accident on the side of the highway where you could scoop up a dog and quickly take it to the vet. You are going to drive some three and a half hours plus the 68 miles by dog team to a vehicle to get to the help. That's with good weather and road conditions. So, yeah, it is very remote. And that's one of the reasons why so many people head up that way to use this area, not only for dog teams and training, but for other sports like snow machining and fat tire biking and the like, like Michelle had mentioned. So during this latest accident, the ACE race had just gone on the day before. It is a race that goes from the Cantwell side parking lot to the Alpine Creek Lodge, and then you turn around and you come back. So it's a 68 mile in, 68 mile out. And of course, uh, all the dog mushers are doing this back and forth. But during that weekend, there was also traffic out on the trail from our understanding of some snow machine testers for the snow machine company Polaris. Evidently, they knew that the dog mushers were on the trail. There was a lot of crisscross traffic back and forth. And it is my understanding that the accident happened on Monday, so a couple of days after the race, where one of Jim Lanier's teams was out mushing dogs and one of the snow machine testers was going way too fast, came up on a dog team, and the accident occurred. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. So as we mentioned, there was a race going on. And of course, there has already been a lot of fallout. And I think that's one of the main reasons why we wanted to do this episode today is sort of give out the, the information that we can, that we've gathered, and of course, uh, hopefully come up with some solutions. So the organizers of the ACE race are the owners of the Alpine Creek Lodge. They have had such fallout from this incident that they have posted on social media that they no longer even want to consider putting on the ACE race. They've taken down the page, they've turned off comments, and all of that. And it's important to note that we reached out to the folks at the Alpine Creek Lodge for this story, and they have not contacted us back. As I mentioned, there's a lot of finger pointing and a lot of complaints back and forth. So let's first take this from the dog musher's perspective. Obviously, that's what we know best, but we also know about snow machines. We use them every day here on our trails, and we groom our own trails, and of course, take care of, of everything that we can with the snow machine as well. So in terms of dog mushing on a trail, if the trail is narrow, obviously the dogs will stay in the confines of the trail. It takes a pretty well-trained dog team to run on one side or the other, or in a track, if you will, on an open area like a, a road, like the Denali Highway. So it is usual for the dogs to stay to the right side or the inside of, of a trail, if you will, especially if there's a lot of turns. But on a wide open area like the Denali, when a snow machine comes up, they're coming fast, uh, there is commotion on the trail. It is the nature of a dog team to in investigate, to find out what's going on. And often you will have the dog teams veer over towards the obstacle, if you will, and of course, accidents can occur there. So you have to be very cognizant while you're out on the trail to make sure that there's any hazards that you have to be ready and willing to defend your stance on the trail. 
in Alaska law, we're going to talk about Title 24 in a little bit, people have to give the right away to dog mushers, and that's to be expected. We're on on a sled with many feet in front of us. Typically, dog mushers will run gangline sections of eight feet or so. So if you have a 10-dog team, that's approximately 40 feet-ish or so from your lead dogs to where you're standing on the runners. So that's a lot of distance between you and the lead dogs. Most of us do very well with being able to control our, our leaders and control G and Ha and Woe and On By and all of that. But of course, we still have a bunch of space between the front of us and the back of us. Snow machines, on the other hand, people buy snow machines to go fast. And going fast in Alaska typically is about 30 miles an hour. That is a moving and cooking snow machine, if you will. Believe me, I have gone over 100 miles an hour one time, and that was flying down the river when I heard that one of my dog teams were tangled and fighting with a novice musher. That is going really, really fast. We typically run on our trails between, between 10 and 15 miles an hour. That's a pretty good speed for doing what we have to do. There's always low visibility, especially on our trails, where most of them are tight wooded trails. We always run a rabbit sled, a machine out front for this very reason. And most often in our case, it's to scare off the angry moose that come around the next corner. Of course, the machiners have rights to the trails just as we do or anyone else. And I think that's where a lot of the hubbub is about. I think uh, mushers think that they have the right of way or the stance to be on the trails and, you know, do what they do. And I think the snow machiners have the exact same argument. They can say, hey, we want to be out here. We're doing our activity. We want to go fast. We want to make sure that we're doing what we want to do as well. It's a real conundrum. And, and unfortunately, accidents like this continue to happen, not only here in Alaska, but all over the country. A good buddy of mine, Jonathan Hayes in Maine, says that he has to take proactive steps every single day with his interactions with snow machiners. I remember way back in my early days of mushing, I was on very heavily used snow machine public use access trails in Minnesota, and I would always run in the middle of the night. I would hook up my dog teams at three o'clock in the morning, never on the weekend, and take them out for a run because they were just so busy with snow machiners all of the time. And it, 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 it it's a recipe for disaster on any area. Michelle, you had something to say here? Well, I was just recalling, you know, a lot of times, even when we were uh, running in other states and practicing for races and things like that, we always tried to find out where the least amount of snow machine traffic was so that we could avoid them and make sure that they were aware of us being out there as well. And in some of those lower 48 states, that's a lot of the problem is they just don't know where dog mushers are and and how the dogs run. And it's not their responsibility necessarily. And, you know, lastly, I got to tell you, I'm usually the rabbit sled, as you called it. And I love that. But um, 
we didn't used to do it that way. We, we didn't have a snow machine when we ran in other states and until we got to Alaska. And that was because of what Robert has been saying a lot lately on his reels. And that is that we like to go out and check the trail previously, somewhat because of climate change and areas of overflow and just spots that aren't frozen up at all, but also because we share our multi-use trails right here. The Hessler-Norris trail system is shared with a lot of other users, not only wreck snow machiners, but we've got people out snowshoeing, um, trekking. We have people out there on fat bikes. We even have a neighbor that likes to take her goat herd out on our trails. Yeah, it, it, it is something. And I think that's a key point to this show. And of course, the uh, back and forth between everybody. I think more than anything, there has to be communication. There has to be education. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But if you guys happen to listen to our last episode, I believe it was, where we talk about the right to mush state, Title 24, and mushing kennel licenses, we talked about what can happen if a person interferes with a dog team, that could be in an instant like we talked about uh, with with here on the Denali Highway, whether it's an accident or alcohol is involved or whatever. There is a recourse for folks that get entangled, uh, quote unquote, with a dog team and causes an accident. And Michelle is going to talk about what that means and what that's all about. And we did reach out to our contact at the Matsu Animal Control, and uh, they did not contact us back. But it's important to note that the Denali Highway is not under the jurisdiction of any borough in Alaska. There are several boroughs that sort of run the government, if you will, uh, around the state of Alaska. And the Denali Highway is not under the control of the Animal Control Board. And this is important to note because of what Title 24 says, Michelle, what does it talk about for interference with a dog team? Okay, Robert. So this really does only pertain to the Matsu borough. Title 24 is a creation for our borough that we reside in. And it reads as follows. It's 24.07.060 interference with a mushing facility or with lawful mushing activity. B, a person commits the violation of interference with lawful mushing activity if the person, one, with the intent to stop, delay, divert, impede, frighten, harm, or otherwise cause sled dogs engaged in lawful mushing activity to change their direction or speed. Two, obstructs, harasses, or physically interferes with sled dogs engaged in lawful mushing activity. So Robert, under this interference with a mushing facility or with lawful mushing activity, section B2 seems to be what has occurred here for Jim Lanier's team. There was harassing and there was physical interference. For Dallas's team, I would argue that that section B2 also would hold up and he could even add section B1 because of the drunk driving. 
What is important to note, as Michelle mentioned, this only is in effect for the Matsu borough. But we say that because just after Dallas's accident, we had uh, our contact at the animal control come out and do an inspection for our kennel license. And Michelle uh, talked to him about what was happening up there. And he said Dallas should have reached out to him because they can pursue additional charges. And that, I believe, is because Dallas is a resident of the Matsu borough. Now, with Jim Lanier, I don't know, because Jim does not live or reside within the Matsu borough, as far as I understand. But again, we're doing a little bit of speculation based on the information that is readily available for anyone and everyone out there over the uh, interweb. Yeah, we wanted to bring this up because there are penalties if something like this occurs. Now, in Dallas's instance, as we've said, we believe that alcohol is involved. So that could be, quote unquote, a crime out there. So I know that the troopers did investigate and decided not to charge. But in this other instance with Jim Lanier's team, there was a an act to interfere or engage in some type of activity that that should not have occurred. Now, of course, uh, on the other side of the coin, on the snow machine side, they could say, hey, we were just out here going fast and we we came up on a dog team and there was an accident and it occurred. And as you guys know, I'm sure a lot of you guys have been on one side of the law or the other, but think about this. Even if you're out on the highway, you're minding your own business, and you find that you have a, uh, a heavy foot and you get pulled over for speeding. Almost always, the officer is going to give you a ticket because you did not follow the rules. So even though it was an accident, I would be willing to bet that there should have still been a ticket, a citation, or whatever. And at the time of this recording, None of that has occurred. There has been, been no charges, no tickets, no citations or anything. So let's talk. I a think, bit. Robert, I want to add something there. I think that part of the part of the uh, negativity is stemming from the fact that the snow machiners did not stick around and help. And from a due diligence part of this, Anytime you have an accident, leaving the scene of the accident is heavily frowned upon and sometimes illegal. Okay. And from what I understand, and I could be wrong, and I hope that Mike Parker or whoever reaches out and corrects me, but if I recall from what I have read, he waved them off and, and said, go get help. And all three of those snow machiners that were involved in this particular incident left to where... I don't think that all three of them needed to leave. Yeah, it's my understanding that he did uh, uh, wave them off to go get help. And, and remember, help is a, a long way away. So they took off. But the story goes is not too long after he saw them coming back towards him. So they sort of just turned around and hightailed it back to Paxson on the other side. And I know it's very difficult to sort of get the the, the gist of this or the sight of this on an audio podcast, but all I all I want to keep saying is just how remote this area is, and that does not diminish uh, the accident on one side or the other. We're not casting blame on one side or the other, but there is a point where something has to occur that uh, that causes some action to take place. Michelle, 
Yeah, and I just, before we move on to this next section here where we're going to talk a little bit more about other groups and things like that, I want to remind everybody that these accidents aren't just happening in remote, closed highway areas of Alaska. A lot of dog mushers train right along the very uh, busy highway here in the parks uh, where they have had accidents with their sled dog teams with motor vehicles. I know that the same thing has happened uh, up near Fairbanks where mushers have crossed the road and been hit by moving vehicles. So it's not just snow machiners, you guys. Sometimes the mushers make some ill-fated decisions and run in areas that can become problematic and engage them with motor vehicles. Not to say that that's the dog musher's fault as they are on the road trail off to the side. But when we're in icy conditions, there are situations where sometimes vehicles cannot stop. And um, I'm not going to dive too deep into it, but one in particular that comes to mind uh, of late was the uh, motor vehicle accident that, that seriously injured an Iditarod musher and their team. So we wanted to reach out and get messages or comments from both sides, and we did not. So we're relying on information that we're reading from several trail groups. We wanted to get both sides of this. And Michelle, I know you you read a very interesting post from the Denali Trail Riding Group, I believe it's called. What did you find out uh, from them and what they are trying to propose? Well, Alan Eccles uh, with the Denali Highway Trail Club put out a pretty well-written and well-thought-out post, and I really thought that it resonated with our philosophy, and so I want to give you guys a little bit of a heads-up on that. He says, you know, that they're going to be planning on starting a grooming program in the 1st of January that's going to possibly make the trail wider where users are not stuck riding in the same trench. And that's a big comment right there. From what I understand, it's not the, the snow machiners are tearing up the whole vast, uh, highway from one side to the other they're literally using the same trench and as we know dog mushers we're going to find the path of least resistance so if a snow machiner has graciously provided us a path of least resistance by all means we're going to take it and so are our lead dogs And so that's a pretty big point that Alan makes right there. Um, He says that they're going to have signs made for both trailheads, warning users that they are not the only ones out there. That's an excellent idea. I would add to that that maybe posting signs at the trailheads, letting people on both sides and all sides know when there is Uh, you know, snow machine testing going on or a dog sled race, or maybe another group has something going on out there. Posting something on that trailhead gives everyone valuable information as long as they're willing to seek it out. Um, He says all lodges along the highway have also committed to help by verbally reiterating to their customers the importance of caution while running on the road. Excellent. And nothing less than to be expected. If I am a dog musher and I'm visiting an area and I'm going to stay at one of the lodges 
or even stop in to get a hot cup of coffee, one of the first things I'm going to do is ask, hey, what kind of trail users are out there? What should I be looking for? And how much wildlife have you guys seen? Alan specifically says to snow machiners at night in bad weather, please do not outride your headlight. Also, don't drink and drive. Understand that when meeting a dog team head on, the dogs will most often veer towards the machine. So if you are not stopped or close to it, this can make things very exciting for both mushers and machine riders. Dog teams will most likely be on the inside of the corners, so be prepared for that. All great advice given by Alan Eccles. He goes on to tell dog mushers, you need to be lit up and at least your lead dog needs to have a light on it. Please do not use a red light on your leader as this looks like a tail light. And we all know, mushers, there are a lot of us that use a red light that flashes. It's not helpful. And riders may assume you are going the same direction as them instead of closing the distance. And, you know, I don't think Alan's wrong here. I think all of the things he points out are spot on. But Robert, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's a great post. And that is a group, I believe, that is heavily uh, interested by snow machiners. So it's good to hear that side of the coin, if you will. There has been a lot of discussion on the musher pages about things that we should be doing. Of course, education is key. As Michelle mentioned, they are proposing that signage be placed on both sides of the highway at the trailhead. Mushers have come up with some other ideas, including LED headlamps. And LED headlamps are pretty much the norm in our community these days. And they have lights that are hundreds of lumens. My Lupine Betty headlamp has 1,500 lumens. An average flashlight that guys carry around in their pocket has about 50 lumens. So these lights are very bright compared to what they were just a few years ago. It has been proposed that we put lights on our handlebars. I know there are mushers on races like I did a rod in the Yukon Quest that do this. I think that's a great idea. Have those LED lights on the handlebars. Reflective lights and or blinking lights on our sleds. As they said on the snow machine group, we need to be lit up. Have reflective tapes on parkas, on our front and back of our clothing, on sleds, on the dog harnesses, all of that. There's been a lot of discussion in the last few days about lights on our dogs, having lights on collars. We talked about red and taillights, and Danny and Mitch Seavey said it shouldn't matter. Flashing lights are key. Teach your dog over. I think this is key, as Michelle mentioned from the the Nolly uh, Trail Group, dogs will instinctively head over to the machine, especially if they're stopped or coming up close. Teach your dog team to do over. As Mitch CV says, of all the things that a snow machiner will come upon on the trail, people, moose, pets, fat pikers, all of that, dog teams are probably the most lit up. And I thought about What about music on the trail? I am one that uses headphones when I'm out with my dog teams. Is that a hindrance now? I think it is because we have to be aware at all times. So is music still condoned, if you will, out on the trail? 
As we've said, speed, trails, obstacles, and even alcohol just don't mix out on our trails. From my own experience traveling the Sioux and Yetna River here in the Matsu, Yetna Station is a very popular spot for both dog mushers and snow machiners. It's about a 35-ish mile run from Willow to Yetna. At Yetna Station, they serve alcohol. They serve a very nice meal and a warm place to warm up for both machiners and dog teams. What about that, guys? That's the way transportation happens in Alaska. You just sort of hopscotch down the trail from one checkpoint, if you will, one lodge, if you will, to the next. And if you're out on a weekend excursion, whether it's on dog teams or on snow machiners, we're going to take advantage of, the, of those services that those lodges provide. As we said, alcohol and winter sports does not mix. This is going to become a bigger and bigger issue as more people and better gear change the way of life, not only here in the north, but everywhere else. Snow machines are faster. More people are using our trails. There are more dog teams out on these multi-use trails. More people are moving up to Alaska to train for Iditarod. More people are using places like the Denali Highway because they don't have access to trails that they once had. There is more development, more housing, just way more population. Even in the 10 or 12 years that we've lived here, there has been an explosion of people that have moved to right here in the Matsu Valley. I recall when I would go out here on our home trails, and we're very fortunate enough to have trail access to literally hundreds of miles right outside of our back door. We have seen a lot more traffic than we did back in the day. As Michelle mentioned, we are now a multi-use trail system. So we do see more snow machiners, more fat bikers, even goat herds out on our trails. But I think the key point to this is mushers have to expect interactions. Hopefully they are not interactions that has occurred in the last two instances on the Denali Highway, but we have to be forthright in what we do and what we watch out for. There has been so many posts on social media this week alone about how many people have interacted on a negative way with snow machiners out on the trails, people traveling too fast, people coming up to them on blind corners, people avoiding accidents on their dog team with their dog teams on the trails with snow machiners. It's inevitable. It's just a way of life, not only here in the North, but everywhere. Michelle, before we do our final takeaways, do you have anything else to say about either this accident, the tips, the tricks, or information that we've gathered for this episode? You know, Robert, when I'm out there on the rabbit sled, as you called it, and I come across an oncoming team and we've got students out on the trail behind me, one of the first things I do is pull my machine off to the side and turn it off. But I also try my best to flag that musher down to slow them down just enough so I can say, hey, there's dog teams on the trail behind me and they are new to this sport. And so that they can give themselves an opportunity to train their dogs, but also give a little bit of a wider berth if possible. So anytime I come across a machiner, I say the same thing. 
I give a big hand signal that makes it look like I'm saying, slow down, slow down. And then I'll try to motion that there's dog teams behind me. But not only that, I would tell that to a snow machine group and a dog musher if I was out with my kid on a mini sled, right? You can't see those kids on those little sleds when the snow is as hot high as it is this season and last season for that matter. And so maybe coming across with some hand signals and some other ways for us to communicate with each other, take the time. We are all out there just trying to enjoy this beautiful, vast, great North that we chose to live in. So what are our takeaways from this episode? Number one, education and communication are key. I think that occurs not only on the trail, as Michelle and others have mentioned, but beforehand. Talk to your kids before they jump on the machine to go out on a a weekend run. Talk to your fellow mushers, uh, especially folks that are moving up that have never been around this sort of traffic before. I know a lot of people come over from Europe where it's an entirely different deal Uh, when they come over to train for Iditarod and other races. We are a different animal, if you will, here in Alaska and the way that we use our trails. But communication and education are key. Not only should we be educating each other on the mushing side, but also uh, the snow machiners should be communicating and educating their own as well. We've talked about the Title 24 and the quote-unquote legal recourse that is available. I know that we mentioned that uh, being a Matsu Valley ordinance, but there are a lot of dog mushers and a lot of snow machiners right here in the Matsu Valley. At last count, I think there was 100,000 people that lived in our community. Yes, we are as big as the state of West Virginia. There are a lot of trails out there that people can use both for dog mushing and snow machining. But there is inevitably going to be interactions between the two. And I think another important note, as Michelle mentioned, when you do come across a snow machiner on the trail, pull over, have a chat with them. Almost every time I've ever done this with a dog team, they have been really respectable, really respectful, if I say, and have always wanted to stop and chat and sometimes even take pictures of the dog team. I highly encourage that. That's where education occurs. That's where communication occurs because they're going to go back and tell their buddies, hey, I interacted with a dog team on XYZ Trail and they were cool. We took pictures, check them out. They're here right on our phone. That's how the word spreads. That's how we get the information across. We are not enemies out there, guys. We're out there enjoying what we do with other people, and I think that is the key takeaway. It is an unfortunate accident that occurred on both Dallas and Jim Lanier's team. We don't know the facts on either side. We don't know if it was alcohol involved with Dallas's team. We don't know exactly what occurred with Jim Lanier's team other than uh, it was test riders going back and forth on the trail. We just don't know, and we're not going to speculate, at least here on this show. Michelle, I'm going to give you the closing words here before we end this very difficult episode to record. What do you have for us? Good, bad, or indifferent at the end of the day. We're all just trail users. There you go, guys. What do you think? Let us know on our social media pages. Leave an 
answer in the comment section. Let's keep this discussion alive. We are looking for input. I know there are a lot of people out there in the last few days that are doing some great things. There are people that are starting crowdsourcing initiatives to get lights out to mushers, to put on their dogs and all sorts of things. So there is things happening. And that's what usually occurs when accidents happen. So I encourage you guys to keep up the good work that you're doing. And we look forward to hearing from you. And we'll see you guys on the next episode. Goodbye. Are you a fan of the great outdoors? Do you enjoy the thrill of speed and adventure? Then listen up. Introducing Mushing, your ultimate guide to the exciting world of dog-powered sports and mushing. Whether you're a seasoned musher or just starting out, Mushing has got you covered. Get ready to immerse yourself in captivating stories of incredible sled dog races, expert training tips from seasoned professionals, and gear reviews to help you make the right choices for your team. From the breathtaking landscapes of Alaska to the snowy trails of Scandinavia, Mushing takes you on a thrilling journey through the world of dog-powered sports. Don't miss out on the latest issue packed with exclusive interviews with top mushers, in-depth articles on sled dog nutrition, and stunning photography that will transport you to the heart of the action. So whether you're dreaming of competing in the Iditarod or simply want to learn more about this incredible sport, Mushing is your go-to resource. Subscribe now and get ready to unleash your passion for mushing. Visit our website at mushing.com or find us on your favorite podcast platform. Mushing, where the spirit of adventure meets the power of the pack.